because I had been very involved with that process. Um, I'm training his dogs and year after year. And it was a big breakthrough moment for me when I realized that these people that I had idolized, like Rick Clinton and Susan Butcher and Doug Swingley and Martin Boozer and Jeff King, uh, they weren't superhuman or some different type of person. They were just normal people like my dad. Yeah. And they were just very determined and persistent. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of wanted to find out what exactly I can do. Um, so I think humans can do a lot more than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. So I am now a dog hunter and have raised, I think, 12 or 13 Iditarods and one five of them. Yeah, thank you. You are a third generation musher, or were you just born into it, or did you find love on your own? <clears throat> oh, actually, uh, I was born into it, and I grew up with sled dogs and mushing as part, uh, not by choice. You know, all my brothers and I, we were very involved with the kennel because that's what my family did. We were all homeschooled, so, you know, we were at home all day long, partly for the purpose of being there, working with dogs. My dad needed help. Uh, the family was holding it together. So we all worked in the kennel. But then I did find very much a love of that, of that lifestyle of working with the dogs and developing the dogs. So while all my brothers... Um, except for one, have run the Iditarod. All of them have run the Junior Iditarod. None of them chose to make it their or their like, kind of passion or goal. Uh, I think they all benefited from growing up with the animals. But uh, I definitely made a choice when I was about 21-ish um, when I started my own kennel. And that's, I think, the, the choice part. I chose to love this. It chose to make this my life. Um, but I was, of course, exposed to it by being born. Yeah. Uh, you are the type of guy that a lot of people look up to and probably go for advice in sports. Who do you look up to and go to advice for sport advice? <clears throat> That's a really good question. There's a lot of people, not always... In fact, oftentimes it's not necessarily people that are famous or well-known that I see a lot of wisdom in. And what I have found is that a lot of the people, that people that I look up to, as your normal everyday lady or guy who shows a lot of compassion or care, and they're the ones that I want to emulate, the ones that I would like to be like. Because oftentimes, because they feel that that is right, and because that is their name, because people are watching them or looking up to them or expecting them to act in a certain way. So I have a really hard time taking one well-known person, and partially because I don't have a TV. Yeah, I know very many famous people as far as like watching TV or watching sports. <laughs> so I, I couldn't really pick one, uh, you know, a football player, a basketball player, or an Olympian that I could say I really look up to because I just, I live in my own bubble, kind of, <laughs> at least on, on the on that scale. Oh, oh my, I'm more person to person. Yeah. Go ahead. Can you see that? Oh, you said you don't have a TV. Have you seen uh, your TV show? Uh, you were on. Yes, I have to say, since I'm seeing afterwards, I watch them on my laptop with my daughter. Um, 
used to yelling when I was um, on the show, but I watched each episode one time. Um, that sent me the whole season, so I watched it with my daughter, and then there was a few episodes that she really, really liked, I think five or six at the time, and I remember there was one episode that she loved, and she loved to watch it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. It got somewhat annoying, so there's one episode I've seen about a hundred times, and the rest of them I've seen once a week. Man, you are a defending Iditarod champion. You've won five total, which ties for the most ever with Rick Swenson. What does it take to have such an incredible run of championships? I think the biggest thing is it, it, it takes a real passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. I think to have that many successful races, you have to be very, very, very passionate about it and love what you're, you're doing. I think it would be very hard to have that much success in anything if you're doing it solely to have had the success. If you're doing it because you love it, you will find that you are able to do so much more. And I don't know whether it's a job, a sport, a hobby, any challenge. And so I think that would be the number one thing is that I have truly and completely loved every minute of training these dog teams, raising these dogs, developing these dogs, and then also racing with them. Now, when I say enjoy, I would like to clarify because, for example, mushing through a very, very bad storm in the 2014 Iditarod is not fun, like, you know, playing a game with friends or hanging out on the beach, but it is rewarding because once you've accomplished something like that with a team, it is such a sense of accomplishment and it's fulfilling and rewarding. We've done that with the dogs and the relationship and the bond that's built in there. But to answer your question, I would say, passion for what I do and the fact that I love what I do has been the thing that has ultimately led us to have success with it. Yeah. You most likely have a target on your back this year, which you probably do every each year. What does it feel like? Well, for some reason, I've always gone into these races feeling like an underdog. <laughs> and maybe that's the position that I race from best. But I, I feel like every year that we've had a win, and even the years that we haven't won but had a good race, I feel like it's just phenomenal what the dogs were able to do. And when I'm training my team this year, and I think, holy cow, we have to do what that team did last year? I don't know if I can repeat that. That was such a phenomenal team, and things came together, and we got lucky here, and this went well there, and we avoided these problems. So I always go into a feeling like an underdog, feeling like I'm the one that has to to happen, not like winning is a foregone conclusion unless somebody can beat me. So I think that keeps me striving to really do everything well. And the biggest thing I've learned is if you're going to have it on your back, you better keep it a moving target. And what I mean by that is we have to keep advancing. We have to keep getting better. It's not about who was best last year. It's about who has continued to train and improve and become better since last year. So I'm, I'm really focusing on continuing to become a better publisher and do the best I can with my dogs every day. And my strategies and tactics are going to probably be a little bit different than they were last year because last year's plan was kind of big for that team. And this year I'm trying to figure out what strategy and plan will work best for this team. Even though they're many of the same dogs, they're all a year older. They all have different experiences. we got some new young dogs in the team. So I would say if you got a target on your back, make sure it's a moving target. Yeah. 
So our listeners know that you were a high school state champ, uh, national champion in wrestling. Do you think wrestling helped you in mushing and mushing helped you in wrestling? Yeah, I would go in both directions, and I think that's you know, observant to, to see it in both ways. And I think one of the things that helped me be a good wrestler is I had grown up having responsibility and having a lot of challenges and doing things that at the time I thought were maybe tougher than what somebody of my age should be doing. Yeah. Um, it also taught me that I can do more than I think I can, right? It can be tough. It can be cold. I can be out here for hours with the dog, and I kept you know, being surprised that, yeah, it was challenging, but I didn't quit, and I was able to do it, and I got better because of it. And in wrestling, I think, continue to teach those lessons about uh, grit, but more so, what I really learned in wrestling was, again, that if I really apply my... Because I started wrestling when I was a little bit older than most kids, so many of these kids that are wrestling have been doing it for twice or three times as long as I had been, but I learned that even though this kid can beat me that badly now, six months or a year later, if I work really, really hard, I can improve. And it doesn't matter that I'm from Alaska and it doesn't have a lot of people. When you go to nationals and this kid's from New Jersey or California or New York, and it's like, you know, they're really, really good and they have great coaches and a lot of competition to practice with. If I work hard, I can do everything they can. But it comes down to who's willing to work the hardest, who's willing to focus on what they're doing and continue to advance. So it really helped me realize, again, the, the endless potential that we have if we really apply ourselves. I'm actually a wrestler, too. One of our biggest competitor, competitors you have battle each year is your own dad. Talk to us about that relationship and what it's like competing against him each year. All right. Um, yeah, my dad is definitely my big competition or one of the, the big competitors, hasn't he? Him and Allie Zirkel. <laughs> um, in fact, Allie Zirkel finished twice to me, uh, or second to me twice, and my dad has as well. So until this last year, I was always racing either my dad or Allie Zirkel for the win. Now, what I think has really, really helped me by having great people to race with is that I really care about both of them. They're both awesome people. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I love my dad. I grew up with him. I understand him. With understanding, I think, leads to a lot of compassion and empathy. So while everybody has flaws, you're able to see, you know, really empathize with that person and care about them. And it's the same with Ali. He's a great person and one of my favorite people to be on the trail with. So by racing these people, I was not able to race from a position of wanting to beat the person because I didn't like them. Right? I think that's one of the things that we have to be careful about in sports. Are we driven because we want to prove that we're better than this person or we want to see them lose? Are we respecting them as competitors and realizing that these are people that are very good at what they do and they're driving us to new heights. They're driving us to be better and it's more about me you know, being pushed by that person, and I appreciate the fact that they are so good at what they do that it drives me to become better. And I think that's healthy competition. So with racing my dad and Allie Zirkle as well, I really think it makes me be a better sports person and be driven by the right reason and help prevent having that, you know, dislike of somebody being the fuel that drives you. I feel that that's a dirty fuel, and in the long 
cumbersome. It's not really helping you grow or evolve. And I think that is the point of sports, is to help us to grow and evolve. And I think that both at Valley and Matt were great competitors that helped me compete for the right reason. Yeah. I did our education, has a TikTok page now, and they made a funny video about your dad the other day. I think you should go check it out. Check that out. <laughs> Has your strategies and techniques changed since you since you started racing the Iditarod back in two thousand five? Very much so. You know, and I think the reason they have changed is because one of the things I love most about mushing as a sport is it pushes us to view things in a new way and update how we view things and make sure that we're working from the right principles to build our strategies on. So I've been looking for ways to evolve all in the sport. And so my tactics have very much changed. Obviously, I've become more knowledgeable about the sport. I feel like I understand the dog so much better now than I did in 2005, despite having been, having been with us five or six years old. Yeah. And I think that one of the bigger changes are not even necessarily a change, but what I've become better at is understanding what my team needs by being very, very in touch with them. I see what they see, I feel what they feel, and I understand how they view the world. And it helps me solve the problems that they see, not problems that I see as a human, but the problems that they see as a dog. And it helps bolster their confidence and helps them feel more secure and safe because they know that their boss, their coach, or their teammate is seeing the same challenges as them and addressing the same things that might cause them to be concerned or nervous or apprehensive. So there's many things that I've changed and many things that I've learned about the dog's you know, physiology and how to train them better. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned and has changed my style for understanding of the psychology of the dog. Yeah. yeah. This is the 15th anniversary of the Iditarod. Since you're a third generation Iditarod musher, you have probably see, seen and heard a lot of changes throughout the year. What would you say is one of the biggest changes that has happened since the old days of the Iditarod? Hmm. You know, I'm going to ask my dad that question because he is in a unique situation to have been actively training dogs when the first Iditarod happened, when my grandfather ran that Iditarod, my dad, the main guy, helping him train that team. So he saw the training, was there. He was only 14 years old, but he was there on the first race as a an involved spectator. And has obviously been competitively racing right up to this year. He signed up. Um, but for me, there's been a lot of technological changes. You know, he learned to mush. I was on a wooden sled. Uh, with, with steel banding on the runners, <laughs> just like they ran in the old days. Yeah. Uh, the dogs that we ran were very different. They were bigger, furrier dogs. Um, so there's been many changes, but again, without picking one tangible or, or, or um, more actual item, I would say the change is that we have a better understanding of these dogs. And we know what they can do. We know how to prepare them for the race. We know how to feed them during the race. We know how to take care of them in a veterinary sense, make sure that they're healthy and ready to do amazing things. And because of that, I think the race has gone from a 20-day race to an 8-day race. More than the material 
to run at night and really utilize the whole day. Whereas my grandpa, when he ran the first day, didn't run. He had had a So uh, aside from that material change, I think big evolution has been understanding the dogs and working in concert with them better. And because of that, we have realized a much faster rate. And I think doing that faster rate with much healthier, stronger dogs. Yeah. Our final segment of the show is a segment where you are bringing back from the old, uh, from the first season. In calling the, in, it is called Mushroom Mount Mushroom Mushroom. If you had to pick, uh, if you had to replace the four presidents on Mount Rushmore for, with four faces of the Adirondack, who, who would they be? Can you pick, you can pick anyone that has to do anything with the <clears throat> That's a really hard to pick. Well, it's really hard to pick four because you're always going to end up having to leave somebody out. There have been so many instrumental people in this race. Um, I think the first one that I'm sure almost any much of you've asked this question has led with would be um, Joe Bennington Sr. Right? I don't think any of us would be here doing what we're doing today if not for Joe Reddington Sr. Yep. Next one, I'm going to have to think about some of these other ones, but next one, I would say Susan Butcher has two things. One, she changed the race for the better. And more so, she's the one largely, if not responsible, for taking the Iditarod from a kind of boutique, small Alaskan event and putting it in a national and worldwide kind of spotlight for at least a few days Her uh, for bringing the awareness to it, as well as Libby Riddle. I would say both Susan Butcher and Libby Riddle to play a huge role in this. And, you know, Rick Swinton would be a hard one to not include, but... If I looked at racing, like the modern-day racing, this might be a controversial pick, but I would have to say Doug Swingley was definitely a big breakthrough musher, but I think really realizing the potential of the sled dog, that a lot of people had trouble with Doug Swingley on a personal level and may not like him because of that, but I do like looking at what is good in people, and uh, he was a phenomenal dog driver, and I think he realized what the sled dogs were capable of. Yeah. So I don't know if that's for yet, um, but I would have to put him in there as well. There are any other mushers? Perhaps, uh, uh, and there's so many that I would want to include in there, but I might go all the way back. Might seem a little bit outdated. But I might have to say Leonard Sethma. Because I think he was very instrumental in where we are with dogs today. And even though the Iditarod was way after his time, may have had a major influence in where we are today, mushing. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to with us today, Dallas. Great. Good luck in getting your sixth win this year. Awesome. Thank you, Eddie, for doing such an awesome podcast and being interested in the sport and helping other people learn more about the sport and be in. Yeah, I really appreciate it.
Okay. And I will go check out my dad on TikTok now. Hey, Dallas, uh, d thank you again. We'll share the link with you as soon as we're finished. We also made one on you as well. You have a you have a TikTok on there as well. So you better check it out. We tagged you in both of them, but you better, better check it out, okay? Okay. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, All right. Special thanks to Dallas Avery for being on our show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you'd like to hear on our show, please email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. Okay. We would like to also give a credit to Hobo Jim for our intro song. The Iditarod Trill song and our intro outro song, Reddington Run. In my heart, it's Reddington Run.